This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 1st, 2024 special meeting of the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee. I'm Supervisor Catherine Stephanie, Chair of the Committee. To my right is Vice Chair Angardio, and to my left is Supervisor Dorsey. The clerk today is Mr. John Carroll. And before we begin, I'd like to wish uh, Member Dorsey a very happy birthday. We won't sing, so, um, but happy birthday, Supervisor. Um, today we are meeting in a joint session with the San Francisco Youth Commission's Civic Engagement and Education Committee, and I would like to introduce the four members from that committee, all of whom are present with us today. We have um, Committee Chair uh, Valentina aliotto Pier, Committee Vice Chair Isabella Perez, uh, Ewan Barker-Plummer, and Jocelyn um, Marking. Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today. I'd also like to thank uh, Jaime Echeverry at SFGovTV for staffing this meeting, and we will start with announcements from our clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you have silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices you may have brought with you into the chamber today. If you have any documents you wish to include as part of the file that is on today's agenda, please submit them to the clerk. You may do so by bringing them to the rail, and I'll meet you there. Public comment will be taken on today's singular agenda item. When your item of interest comes up on our agenda and public comment is called, please line up to speak along the western wall of this room. I'm pointing it out with my left hand. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment in writing in either of the following ways. You may email your writing, your, <clears throat> sorry, your written comments to me at john.carroll at sfgov.org, or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. The address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlit Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit your public comment in writing, I will forward your comment to the members of the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee, and I'll also include your comment within the file upon which you are commenting. And Madam Chair, just one final bit of uh, housekeeping. I'm gonna now recognize my uh, colleague in the Youth Commission, the Youth Commission clerk, Joy Jan, to take the role for the Youth Commission. Thank you. Thank you. On the call of the roll, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Present. Barker Plummer present. Commissioner Marroquin. Present. Marroquin present. Vice Chair Perez. Present. Perez present. Chair Aliotto Pier. Present. Aliotto Pier present. Chair with um, four present and, and zero absent. You have quorum. And Madam Chair, that concludes our announcements and the roll. Thank you to you both. And will you please call the first item? Agenda item number one is a hearing to evaluate the lockdown and other safety procedures of the San Francisco Unified School District. Thank you. And thank you, colleagues and everyone here today. Um, I called for this joint hearing after initially hearing about distressing incidents that occurred at George Washington and Galileo High Schools on December 8th, 2023. The youth in our city have always been vocal on issues of gun and school safety, and I will continue to support them in their journey to feel safe on their campuses. I look forward to our continued partnership in keeping our schools safe and finding ways to improve upon the policies and practices in place. Um, this is an issue that I think you all know I care very deeply about, gun violence prevention. And uh, as a mother of, to two kids, 19 and 14, uh, it's just, to me, exasperating that gun violence is now the leading cause of death for our children and uh, teens in this country. And I want to make sure that this hearing today is led by you and to hear your voices. I could go on and on about this forever, but I just want to make sure that you know that uh, you are supported and we look forward to hearing from you and conducting this hearing so that your voices are heard here today. 
I do want to welcome Director uh, Greg Markwith uh, with the SFUSD Emergency Planning and Preparedness Division. And Director Markwith is joined by Assistant Superintendent of the Student and Family Services Division, Eric Guthert. I, I hope I got that right. Okay, great. <laughs> they are also uh, joined by their colleagues, Davina Goldwasser, Assistant Superintendent of High Schools, uh, Tara Hobson, Executive Director of Schools, and uh, L Laura Melgarejo. Okay, great. Um, she's the Policy Communications Coordinator. And with that, I'll turn it over to Commissioner Aliotto Pierre for opening remarks, and then we can begin the presentation from SFUSD. Um, thank you, Supervisor Stephanie, for calling this hearing, and thank you to SFUSD for presenting. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, as you probably have assumed since we're here, school safety is an issue very near and dear to the Youth Commission's heart, but as well just the Civic Engagement and Education Committee, which is who is here right now. Um, so yeah, we're just very, very excited to hear from SFUSD on how to further school safety and make schools a safe place for children as it should be. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. I think we can start with our presentation. Um, are we able to display the presentation now? Mr. Yes. Clark? SFGovTV, uh, when the slides are ready, please uh, display them here. Thank you. Good afternoon, supervisors and youth commissioners. My name is Greg Markwith, and I serve the San Francisco Unified School District as the Director of Emergency Planning and Preparedness. On behalf of the San Francisco Unified School District, I would like to thank you for calling this hearing and for giving our team the chance to present. In addition to myself, Eric Guthertz, um, the Assistant Superintendent of Student and Family Services will also be presenting. First, I would like to introduce my colleagues in attendance again, along with Eric and myself. Our other colleagues, jo uh, colleagues joining us are Davina Goldwasser, Tara Hobson, and uh, Laura Malgarejo. Second, I wanna lift up and honor the voices of our students, not only who are in this room, but students at Washington High School and in SFUSD as a whole, who organized in support of school safety and emergency preparedness. We understand that students have the right to feel safe at school, and we want to continually work to that end. Next slide. A little bit of an overview in what we will be discussing today. Um, we'll, we'll, of course, share our mission as a district. Uh, we'll talk about our school site security matrix and bond projects, crisis communications, coordination with emergency service providers, emergency readiness and safety planning, our lockdown drill protocol, the definition of active shooter threat, and school climate and culture and partnerships. Our district mission is as follows. Every day we provide each and every student the quality instruction and equitable support required to thrive in the 21st century. Additionally, as a district, the safety of our staff and students is at the forefront of our daily decision making, both at sites and centrally. SFUSD is continually modernizing and upgrading our facilities, both through facilities department funds and the bond program. In late October 2021, the Board of Education reallocated $10 million in bond funds to improve safety and security. 
The district completed an assessment of secure door hardware and identified under 40 sites where door hardware was insufficient. Today, 90% of our classrooms have secure hardware installed and the district will complete all classrooms by summer 2024. The district has also updated remote door access, which is door buzzers with integrated cameras to allow for visitor identification and remote access at schools and will complete that work in summer 2024 as well. For building public announcement systems, PA systems, we have assessed every school site to understand the existing setup, and while every school site has a PA system in classrooms and administrative areas, there are around 30 schools that require upgrades to meet the new district standards for comprehensive PA coverage in all areas of the campus, such as the auditorium and gym and hallways. The additional $10 million allocation from 2021 will get us most of the way there. With an additional 2 to $5 million in funding need, we will need in, in in including um, the $10 million, excuse me. The, no the November 2024 bond measure is a critical opportunity to secure funding for the remainder of the PA system monetization work in 2024-25, as well as safety improvements to other campus features that the district plans to undertake. In the event that a bond does not pass, the PA system improvements are still a district priority, and we will explore other funding sources for this work. The district's facilities funding outside of a bond me measure is very limited, and the bond presents the best opportunity to be, to be thorough about security improvements. Next, I'm going to talk about crisis communications in our district. During a school incident, the immediacy of co communication depends on the scope of the event and on the potential or actual impact to the safety of students. Every situation must be addressed based on multiple factors, and SFUSD reserves judgment in each case, although works with the school closely to determine a communication strategy. The comms team breaks, breaks down incidents into three categories, and depending on the level of impact, the notification response is adjusted. Our crisis communication threshold, thresholds can be found on our district's public website on the page titled SFUSD, excuse me, Student Safety and Parent Notification. <clears throat> a little bit about third-party third party apps and social media. Apps such as Citizen report events in real time, so our students and families often hear about incidents before the school is able to send messaging home. And more often than not, that information shared on these apps is incorrect. We understand when our stakeholders find, about, find out about incidents prior to hearing from our schools, this creates frustration and confusion. Regarding the Washington incident, the reason for police presence on campus was communicated as soon as we had all the information we needed to confirm for the Washington community there was no active threat on campus. We have a responsibility to ensure that we have all pertinent information relating to an incident before we share it with our community as disinformation can be detrimental to emergency response protocols. I'm going to talk a little bit now about our uh, coordination with SFPD and other law enforcement agencies. Um, I myself serve as the district liaison with SFPD, which, uh, and this means that I meet with Captain Samuel Christ of Community Engagement Division once per week to share information, to consult with one another, and refine protocols and procedures in response to incidents at sites. Captain Christ is also on call during the week and on weekends in case of emergency and vice versa for myself. The main goals of this partnership are maintaining a direct line of communication, coordinating incident response to, uh, to and monitor developments, excuse me, 
protect student rights and centering community needs, and thought partnership. Additionally, our communications division, PIO, works directly with the SFPD PIO to align on messaging as needed. This is to ensure our messaging is accurate and consistent and does not compromise an active investigation. A little bit about safety planning and readiness at school sites. The district has a comprehensive crisis plan in the event of any emergency. Schools have individual safety plans and security measures that include evidence-based prevention measures. Preparation is the key to readiness. Schools regularly audit their safety plans, they engage in safety drills, and, and we're making sure to provide timely family communication and notifications. Some information about lockdown, our lockdown protocol. The decision to call a lockdown at a school site or not is based on whether a threat of violence or harm is identified on campus or directed by law enforcement and it is necessary to prevent the perpetrator or perpetrators from entering any occupied campus areas. The lockdown protocol, as well as all other emergency protocols, are research-based and created and refined in collaboration with law enforcement and DHS recommended actions, Department of Homeland Security. Um, as far as an active shooter definition goes, government agencies, such as the DOJ and HSA, among, uh, among many others, define an active shooter as an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined and populated area. In most cases, active shooters use firearms and there is no pattern or method to their selection of victims. I want to once again, uh, once again honor the voices of students who organize in support of school safety and emergency uh, preparedness both at Washington and across the district. Based on an, uh, an after-action debrief of the incident at Washington, including reviewing details of the facts of what transpired, SFUSD protocols were followed. The school also prioritizes sharing accurate and timely updates with families and staff as we recognize the importance of curbing misinformation and confusion within the community. A lockdown was not initiated at Washington because per the lockdown protocol, it was determined there was no active threat on campus. Um, I'd like to um, now ask my colleague Eric Guthert, invite him to come up to um, finish our presentation. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for inviting us today. And I, before I jump in, I, I do want to acknowledge, I'm going to talk more about the bigger picture, thinking about the culture and climate of the classroom and some of our, our key partnerships with the city and, and a range of agencies. But this stuff is scary. So I just, I just don't want to undermine that it, as a parent myself, having raised children at NSF Unified, it, it is a scary proposition and I am very grateful to you all for inviting us here and for really opening up this partnership that we can have together collectively. Because when we think about this issue of community violence, it's not solely at the school level. In fact, I would argue that it is very much in the community and it spills into the school. And I would also argue that often it can also spill from the school out into the community. So with that, I'm going to start with the, the first slide for us is around the critical nature of relationship building. And one of the areas and one of the key um, shifts in our district, I would say, in the last year and a half with our board is around our vision, values, goals, and guardrails. And the key guardrail that I, that I work to uphold within the, the stu Student Family Services Division is around the idea of sense of belonging. And we know that at every school site, Students that feel seen, heard, loved, and cared for are more connected 
and more likely to let us know when something's happening and also to more be willing to be part of the solution rather than to causing the issues as well. And so that is a key driver for us. One of the ways that we do that is through coordinated care teams. We have coordinated care teams at literally every single school site supervised by um, the, 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 the lead schools division and by my folks in the, in the student family services division. And so that's a place, coordinated care teams, where they meet weekly to talk about student concerns, student issues, how do we create a, what we call in the business a tier one sort of level of what, what, what we expect in our culture and our climate, how we, how we want to connect with each other, how we want to behave with each other, right? And then we think about the tier twos and threes. What are the specific services and supports we need to offer for small groups of kids and for individual students that are, are showing more uh, issues as well. That's directly connected to our wellness centers, which we have at every single high school now, and by next year we'll have at every middle school as well. Um, for the schools that don't have, say, for example, some of the K-8s that don't have a um, wellness center, they all have social workers, and they all have um, uh, school, or most of them have school nurses as well. So again, these strategies of really building the sense of, of belonging and a sense of seeing, hearing, and understanding where, where students are coming from. We also have within my division a district crisis response team that deals with high-level issues as well, literally on a daily basis. So if we're hearing, unfortunately, um, say even in elementary school, where a student says, "I want to," I want to hurt somebody. We actually take that up, right? And we deal with that. Social workers involved. We can do things like behavior threat assessments. We do contracts. So we're working constantly to figure out what these crises are and how we can um, uh, mitigate them as much as possible. We've also initiated, I think it's now a year and a half in, maybe almost two years actually, the Say Something Anonymous reporting system from the Sandy Hook Promise, which is great. We've trained over 8,000 students just this, this month alone, are going to continue training students as well. And I know we're training because we've gotten a lot of prank uh, tips, and so which, which I feel personally. Um, and that's fine, because it just shows me that the system's working and that students are trying it out to see if they're going to get a response, which they do. Um, in terms of uh, centering students and youth, another huge partnership, and I want to recognize Jasmine right there, Jasmine Dawson, my partner in all of this work together. We have really created an, what I think is an extraordinary model for the country around a community partnership with the, the city of San Francisco, DCYF, SVIP, and many interdepartmental teams as well, where we meet on a weekly, well, bi twice weekly basis to coordinate issues of violence, and how do we not only deal with the ones that are happening, but how are we proactive? How are we actually getting involved in making sure that students have uh, what we call violence interrupters and case managers and life coaches to support them either when something's occurred or even prior to it occurring so that we can do restorative practices, so that we can do mediations, and that we can also uh, access all of the rich resources that the city has to offer um, that might be housing services, it might be mental health services. So this partnership, um, uh, coordinated between DCY, if I'm going to go into more detail in a minute, is really key. Another one uh, the drivers is uh, recently we are now part of an interdepartmental working group uh, meets twice weekly that Bobby Lopez and her team puts together uh, with the mayor's office, with DPH, with juvenile justice, with SFPD, and a huge range of folks to actually talk about what's coming up in the community, how it might impact schools, or what's coming up in schools that might impact the community. Um, and we've been able to really leverage some pretty quick and thoughtful resources for families that are in distress and for our students as well. We offer many, many uh, assemblies and workshops at schools and clubs and things like that to really build that sense of belonging. And then, of course, as I said, we have, we have 
very many community partnerships addressing culture and identity and student safety and student wellness as well. Um, the team that I was mentioning with Jasmine is really our multidisciplinary team. I'm not going to go into great detail here, but it involves uh, the district, myself, um, what we call violence interrupters, um, folks on my team, uh, the DCYF folks, uh, the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform, and very, very importantly, the SVIP team, and then a whole range of community uh, organizations, including SEDC, YCD, uh, and CYC. So many very thoughtful uh, partnerships. Oh, and the juvenile probation as well. And the way it works is on Mondays we have a leadership meeting where we're talking about sort of big picture issues and coordinating some of the, the things that we're seeing in the week. And then actually on Thursday, I just got off the call before I came here, we meet with all the violence interrupters and the CBOs and we literally talk case by case what's happening and who's going to uh, uh, support that school or this student or, or uh, that, that, that family or that community um, in real time. And we, we have this for virtually every one of our middle and high schools. We pilot particularly around 15 schools right now as well. And that has been a very impactful program uh, and with a Bureau of Justice um, Administration uh, grant as well. And we really appreciate that partnership. And then finally, I'll just close up. These are actually the people that do the work. And so I wanted to really shout out some of our school violence interrupters that are there at our sites every single day. They come from SVIP, Samoan Community Development Center, Urban Y, uh, and, and, and very, very importantly, UCSF Wraparound, who gives us a lot of great information. So I didn't, I want to, you know, really shout out a few folks, including Chico Wells and Will Corpus and Mike Texada, who've been incredibly instrumental in this work. And again, I just want to close by saying that we recognize that it really does take a, a village here. It takes a community to try to impact what we're seeing, I think, in our city and in our nation, unfortunately, around a rise in, in, um, in, 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 in violence and in a rise in incidents with youth in, in, our, in our world. And lastly, I think the other thing I didn't talk about was my team also delves a lot into how do we get at the root causes of this issue too, because we know that guns are a real problem, but we know there's something behind that too, such as housing, such as food uh, security, such as jobs. And with that, I'm gonna end my, my part. Thank you. I turn it back over to Greg to finish us up. Yeah, just, uh, just thank you once again, and um, we're available for questions or Hey, thank you so much. That was very informative, and I will um, turn it over to the youth commissioners to see if you have any questions of SFUSD. It looks like we have um, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you, um, and thank you, Chair Stephanie, for um, not only facilitating this conversation, but also calling this hearing, and my thanks to the San Francisco Unified School District for presenting. Um, before I ask a couple of follow-up questions, I just want to speak about this hearing and its importance. Um, safety concerns from students and families have been a consistent issue raised to myself and many youth commissioners, at least since I began as a youth commissioner nearly three years ago. So today's hearing is an important opportunity for us to address the concerns, both in where improvement is needed, but also to share publicly the actions the school district, along with their partners in the city, have proactively taken for school safety. So I want to express my thanks to Supervisor Stephanie and to our partners at the Unified School District uh, for being here today and for facilitating this conversation. One area <clears throat> that I, uh, I'm wondering if I can hear more about is sort of 
uh, the procedure between SFUSD schools and SFPD when there is an emergency incident. Um, specifically, you know, what does that first contact look like? And then following up on that, um, you know, if there needs to be another call made, how is that done, especially between school sites and emergency services and how central office is included in that as well? <clears throat> that's, a, that's a great question, actually. So one of the things I'll say is um, when there's an incident that happens at a site and emergency services are called, whether it's medical or law enforcement, um, you know, our, our principals at our sites, our site leaders, serve as our incident commanders. So the first person, uh, you know, to generally, um, you know, speak with and meet uh, law enforcement or medical personnel is our site leader and our site, you know, site principal who has the most information about the incident. And so that initial contact during an incident um, and, and that, and that, you know, those interactions, that interaction happens throughout, throughout the incident. Um, when police are called, um, you know, and, and I do want to say that, um, you know, um, since we came back from the pandemic, the relationship that we've had with SFPD has been, um, has been um, incredible. And it's been, um, it's, it's been appreciated in the sense of the partnership that we have um, and their willingness to sort of meet, meet us where, um, where they're, uh, excuse me, meet us where we're at um, with regards to um, police presence on campus. Um, what I will say is that after, um, after an incident, um, there is follow-up in the sense of after-action reports um, and, and that collaboration that exists um, between SFPD and the district. Um, we meet Mondays for an hour. Um, Eric is generally there. I'm there. Any other folks um, that uh, in our lead division that serve schools come and maybe bring up questions they have. Um, but, but what I will say also is I'm, I'm on the phone with Captain Chris probably two or, you know, one or two times a day, just checking in about incidents, consulting, asking questions, best practices. And it's the same way for them as well. You know, they call us a lot asking about, you know, like, you know, best practices and, and how they interact with schools and any concerns that come up. Um, so it's, it's, it's really like an ongoing conversation via text, via, via, via phone, so. If I can ask a brief follow-up question. Um, so I, what I've heard from uh, some students is that they are under the impression, at least, that once there's a first initial contact between a school site and emergency services, then essentially the policy is that it should always go through central office. So I'm wondering if that's accurate. And so, you know, say there was an incident that was reported, uh, a school principal calls 911 and says, you know, we need a response. They end that phone call. Are they able to then, per protocol, call 911 again, or do they have to go through central office? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, we, we want them to call 911 when there's an emergency. Right. And so, I mean, I, it's, I, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to answer your question here. Um, we don't, uh, there's no inter intervention between central office and the site. We talk to, I mean, we learn about it afterwards, if that makes sense. Like there's no, um, they don't have to get permission to speak to the police. Is, is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, and I think that there were concerns around sort of what that incident I mean, it, it, it grows to be including central office, right? Once you guys become aware of an incident that has happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. School, right? So I think that yeah. there, were, there were concerns around what that process looks like and how that might inhibit and complicate the situation between you know, law enforcement yeah. or emergency personnel. There's, there's, literal, there's literally no intervention. It's more of, and we've talked about this before at the, at the May hearing, we have a central emergency operations center. And really what that is, is it's a 
GChat, um, where you know um, all the people in support of schools come together, and I lead it to say, you know, what's going on? What do you need? If it's around lunchtime, it's like, you know, do we need to have shelf-stable foods instead of hot lunch? It's really about like what's going on at the school site and how do we make sure that um, as little disruption to the school day occurs, um, other than what's going on. If that makes sense. Thank you. Any other questions? Oh, let's see. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you so much. So a few days ago, I uh, was listening to NPR, and there was a story that I think it was All Things Considered. Uh, and knowing this hearing was coming up, it's, it, I looked it up. It was about exploring the connections between bullying and school shootings. And one of the things that I, really, I was really grateful to see in the presentation was addressing some culture. Um, just curious if there's if that is something that um, the the story that NPR ran was focused on a, an incident, a school shooting that happened in Iowa, um, and some of the students. You know, there's no motive. The the person who did it took um, I think killed five students, three staff members, and then took his own life. But one thing that was reported is that he had been bullied f since elementary school. Um, and there, there was some discussion about that. Obviously, this isn't to, you know, for, forgive it or explain it, but it, it did go into, you know, things that we need to do. And I think that there was a reference to addressing root causes. I'd love to just to invite somebody to, if uh, to explore that a little bit. If, if this, if what the school district does speak. around bullying, I just appreciated the the attention you gave to school culture. Um, and also, I as I think as you're wrapping up, you mentioned you know, getting at the root causes, which include access to guns, too. But I'm curious yeah, so about bullying. Even before I take on the bullying for a minute, and that's a scary story. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night and Greg up and this whole, all of us. So um, I, I think the culture and climate piece and the sense of belonging and, and really how do we support sites in building that place where students walk in that door and feel that sense that they, they're okay, that they're valued, regardless of where they come from and who they are, is absolutely critical. When I was talking about tier one, that's what I mean. Like what's that, what's that expectation across the whole school, the hallway, the cafeteria, the classroom, where students feel they can be themselves and be kind and, and be respected uh, with each other. Bullying itself we take deeply seriously, and we agree, like, bullying can be one of the root causes, right? Although then we got to look at, like, well, why the bullying, and where is that coming from? So I think um, one of the ways I'd say that is we actually do trainings with our social workers around bullying and bullying interventions. Um, we have monthly um, what we call job-alike trainings for all of our social workers, all of our counselors, all of our nurses, and all of our childs, which are community health outreach workers that run the, or sort of, uh, support the running of the wellness centers. So that's that's a key piece. I think the other piece is around social emotional learning that we do a lot of work around from pre-K all the way through 12th grade. And then finally, we actually have an office of uh, our office of equity which deals with specific incidents of bullying that we then investigate with the school sites and actually then follow up and figure out uh, is this going to lead to you know what kind of discipline? Sometimes expulsions, unfortunately, which I didn't talk about, but that's actually in my shop as well. Um, and, um, and, and other sort of remedies to making sure um, that we are, we are addressing and mitigating incidents of bullying. Thanks so much. I think the only other thing that I would just, just 
offer, and it's, this isn't really a question, you can, co you can come on up, it was more just an observation. Even being here with, you know, a, a younger generation, I almost feel like I want to apologize on behalf of the generation that got it wrong. The, this country has had a Second Amendment since 1787, but we never had a court holding of an individual right to possess firearms until 2008. It was the Roberts Court, and it changed everything. It really eviscerated our ability as policymakers to have meaningful gun control in this case. It was the Heller decision, and then two years later it was followed by the McDonald decision that really undermined our ability to, to, to have the kind of gun control that we should be having. And now this, you know, 15 years later, we're, we are just seeing the, these kinds of problems. Um, I really do appreciate the leadership of my colleague, Supervisor Stephanie, and um, the, the, the work that is being done here on the, the Youth Commission. So um, I just appreciate this and value this hearing. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. And if you really want to make your blood boil, read why the Supreme Court decided the way they did in the Heller decision and what the NRA had to do with all of that. I can send everyone um, some literature about all the uh, academic articles that were written to support the individual right, um, and they pretty much made it up. And anyway, it's very um, upsetting. So thank you, Supervisor Dorsey, for those words. I see that we have Commissioner Perez up next. Great. Well, uh, thank you, Chair Stephanie, for uh, calling this hearing and also the San Francisco Unified School District for presenting and also Supervisor Dorsey for your comments. Uh, very appreciated. Um, this issue, as Commissioner Barker Plummer mentioned before, is important to the Youth Commission and to myself uh, because speaking on behalf of the Commission, some of my colleagues attend the schools mentioned in the presentation. Um, I'm specifically alluding to uh, both Galileo and George Washington High Schools and those incidents on December 8th. Um, and I'm aware of the progress and the improvement yet to be had to ensure students feel safe on various campuses within SFUSD. Um, but as for my question, in the presentation you mentioned the difference between, um, you mentioned the goal, my, um, excuse me, the goal to improve the PA systems across SFUSD, um, specifically for the 30 sites that are considered to be the top priority. Um, and my question here is just what measures are being taken to ensure that their proper funding uh, will be had if this um, bond measure does not pass? Um, so specific measures for that. And then the second part to my question there is what exactly is the state of these current PA uh, systems if an issue were to happen tomorrow? Um, would they be able to effectively kind of communicate any issue to the public and to the school at large? Um, so kind of what is considered to be a malfunctioning PA system? Uh, excellent question. So I'll, I'll address your, um, your second question first, which is, you know, every, like I said, every school site has a P PA system. Um, when we've been doing the bond modernization projects off of the 2016 bond, um, we've been, um, you know, district standards have changed in terms of what we want to see in a PA system. Um, and so those sites who have had that modernization done have the district standard PA system now. The current schools that do not are the ones that we are we are attending to. So every school site has a PA system. They're just not the district standard PA system. Um, and, and and as far as you know the, the funding goes, um, you know I, I, I spoke to the bond team in preparing for this hearing, um, and and I think what they have an understanding of is this is um, of the utmost importance. Um, and it's not the sole responsibility of the bond team to find funding if the bond does not pass. 
Um, but I think overall as a facilities division and operations division, the understanding that this is a top priority is there. Um, so there is a commitment to if the bond does not pass, so everybody vote for it, please, if you're an SF resident. If it does not pass, um, we are going to have to move some things around in terms of, of projects we might have in the, in, the, in the pipeline or queue to make sure that this, these jobs get done. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, Commissioner uh, Markin. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you, Supervisor Stephanie, for calling this meeting and um, San Francisco Unified School District for presenting. School safety has been a really important issue to um, the Youth Commission for a very long time, and I think it's really important that we're addressing this today. Um, my question was in the area of crisis communication specifically, what's the process for timely crisis communication for um, especially students in an ongoing incident? Thank you for your question. Um, I'll just go on to say that, you know, the crisis, excuse me, uh, the comms team breaks down incidents um, that occur uh, between low impact, medium impact, and high impact. And depending on where the incident falls in terms of that threshold, different, um, you know, different communications level exist. Um, you know, one of the most important things, like I said previously, is that we get the, all of the information before we share information with students and families and, and, and to make sure that we get it right because misinformation is, is, is um, often detrimental, like I said, to emergency response. And it's very frustrating when we don't get the information correct. Um, I'll just say that, you know, when, when we, and I can go through the, the different um, levels, but low impact is, um, you know, posing no minimal, uh, no or minimal risk to the safety of the school, no disruptions, regular school day activities. This would be an example of like a small disturbance or a fight. Um, um, uh, and that's usually uh, parents of the involved students will be contacted. This won't be a full school message. Um, medium impact, uh, police activity in the neighborhood, um, which results in, in, in students being brought in inside during lunch, something like that. Um, that's, we'll be sending a message by the end of the day um, uh, via email, phone call, or website posting. Uh, it's not immediately we need to get the information out, um, um, but we do need to get it out eventually because we want to commu with, uh, communicate with our families. Uh, high impact, something like a gas leak, um, school evacuation, school closure, a school goes into lockdown, uh, lockout, um, uh, some, some kind of high impact major event like that, um, our comms team will uh, kind of spring into action uh, and the message will go home uh, immediately via text message, um, our, our school messenger system. Um, if it's a matter of public concern, um, um, our comms team uh, may also provide social media updates or put out a press release. Thank you, and I just wanted to say um, thank you again to the Public Safety and Neighborhood Safety Committee and um, Supervisor Stephanie for calling this meeting. Thank you. Thank you, and Commissioner Aliotto Pierre. Did you have your name? Yes. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to cover a little, well, first, thank you for presenting. Um, I just wanted to cover a little bit more about drills. Uh, I was wondering if there is district policy for schools on how to actually practice like lockdown drills regularly and if there's a certain way that drills are done differently at each school or each district um, just to ensure the safety of our students and to make sure that they know 
exactly what's going on for such different schools and how they're built and safety stuff there. Uh, thank you for your question. So every year, as I met, excuse me, every school year, it's state mandated law that schools complete uh, comprehensive school safety plans. Uh, and those plans need to be completed, um, shared with the school site council, approved, um, and, and including in those plans is, um, you know, um, all the information and resources sites need to complete these drills in question. And the four, main, uh, the four main drills schools are asked to complete are fire drills with evacuation, an earthquake drill, lockdown, and lockout. Um, in this plan, you have information on what the protocol actually looks like. You have information about what, how to plan for a drill. And then you have one-pagers you can put around uh, school and in classrooms so students know what to do in, in case of an emergency drill. Um, schools are required to complete two, two of these drills um, for each one every year um, and um, we work with school sites if they want help planning and, and, and creating materials to share with their uh, staff or students in terms of how to train them. Um, I'm, I have open office hours every week, three times a week um, and a lot of schools reach out to me uh, for support um, and every school is different like you said. We have some schools that are giant, right? And so it's, um, it really takes um, you know, sometimes you do a drill and it doesn't go well, and that's really important because that teaches you all the deficiencies in what you're planning. At a small elementary school, it looks a lot different. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to account for different things because you have smaller children or, um, you know, um, there's, a, there's a rule that says uh, first and second, second graders can't go down the stairs uh, with kindergartners and, you know, pre-K students. So there are all these different sort of things that you have to take into consideration. But I will say, like I said, um, you know, like I said earlier, um, all of this material and all of this information is laid out every year in these templates that they get, these schools get, um, that they complete, which also includes what's the evacuation plan for the school, um, what's their off-site, excuse me, off-site evacuation area, um, you know, um, and all the different people they need to contact. Inf you know, it's 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 all right there. It's a living document. People can click on it. It's 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 a really comprehensive doc. You're welcome. Thank you. And I think we have Commissioner Bar Barker Plummer. If I am allowed to speak again, uh, I have plenty of questions. <laughs> you you can ask as many questions as you would like. Thank you. You're not um, limited. I I once again appreciate that. Um, so I, I sort of have three different areas I, I want to follow up on. So um, also if other commissioners want to go in between, let me know. So um, the first is sort of following up on the PA systems. Um, I, you mentioned that we had a hearing last May. I know that this is something that I and other commissioners brought up. Um, and especially considering that the bond has now been moved from the March primary election to the November primary election. This seems like an even more important question to ask of, you know, you, you, you basically said that in the case that this bond does not pass, you will find alternative ways to fund it. Why has that not been done already with an urgent issue that, frankly, I would argue needed pressing, uh, needed a more timely response than waiting till November 2024 to even pass the bond and then after that implement it? Does that make sense? Sure does. Do, um, are there three things, or we're going to just start with that one? Oh, I'll let you respond to each one. Before <laughs> okay, I, I, I won't go. Too, that's I why I got yeah. the pen. I wanted to write all these things down. Um, so that's a that's a great question. I, I mentioned briefly that you know a lot of this modernization work and this this bond work happens. Um, 
you know, when the bond is passed, right? So 2016 bond, we modernize schools as we go. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you in the sense that, um, you know, this is uh, just me personally um, believe that this is one of the most important um, things that we need to work on as a school district. So I'm glad we're, we're working on it. Um, as far as why it has not done until been done until right now, that's a that's a great question. I don't have a, a, a great answer for you, um, but I, I do believe as as you know um, as somebody who's working on this um, you know participating in this work now, it's in front of us. So how do we make sure it happens now? Is the best is is probably the best answer I can give you. Um, I joined this division a year ago, um, and so I, I was a, actually a high school principal along with Eric Guthrie previous to this and so and I do know that before my modernization between the years of 13 and 16 we didn't have a modernized PA system and then we did and it made a huge difference so I want to make sure that we can make a huge difference at all of these schools that need them I mean I appreciate that I do just want to say you know I, I and fellow commissioners have, you know, had meetings with our leaders on the local level, on the state level. I know that there are um, grant programs on the federal level when it comes to school safety. Uh, I, it to me is a little bit odd, at least, that that hasn't been considered, especially when safety is supposed to be the number one priority for the school district. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that more or if I should move on, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that as well if you. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll just reiterate what I said. Okay. I totally agree that it is one of the um, most important um, things we need to work on. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then another, my second area is um, among like crisis communication. So I know you said one like third party apps provide a, a real challenge, I think. Um, I, I know that that's conversations I've heard amongst other areas of city government as well. Um, even the youth commission is still learning how to deal with like up and coming social media, I think as well. Um, so, you know, I, I'm wondering what your plan is, you know, long-term to actually deal with that because we know young people are not gonna stop using Instagram. Citizen is not going away anytime soon. So I'm just wondering if you have thoughts on what the long-term plan is, whether you can work with these platforms, whether, you know, you need to just express to students that this is not always trustworthy. What does that look like? I mean, one of the things that we work on in our schools is uh, digital literacy and, and you know, um, and, and making sure that they understand, um, you know, what these different apps uh, sort of represent and where this information comes from and, and how are you consumers of social media and information that comes across. Um, um, uh, to be perfectly honest, it's it's really it, it, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's really hard to combat um, these um, these third-party apps, these social media apps. Um, even when we're dealing with issues in our schools regarding social media, Instagram. I mean, it's not Facebook anymore. I know the kids don't use that. Um, my parents who are older use it. Um, uh, so. Um, but as far as Instagram, and, and I, I don't even know what else is popular, I apologize. But um, it's really hard to um, address those issues because we, don't ha we, we really don't have a ton of control over it. And as you astutely mentioned, um, working with our students and our families to understand that all the information that comes across the Citizen app is not totally... It's more oftentimes than not not accurate. Um, it's information that comes across the police scanners, things like that. Um, and so the initial thing they hear is that 
there's a gun at X school, um, and they don't, you want to speak to that? Please. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, and, I, and I, I really feel strongly about what I said in terms of crisis comms, which is we want to get the information right, because you don't want to put out information that then you have to retract um, that has changed um, afterwards. Please. Yeah, actually, is this one not? Yeah, I'll just use this one. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to speak directly to Citizen App. That's a, a different issue. I think it's a problem, I think, for the city. But in terms of sort of students on social media and causing issues, that, that's an area actually that we've been knowing for a long time is, is a serious area of concern for us. So we've been working with our team, our comms team, but also with our, our grant that I talked about with uh, DCYF as a, sort of the next iteration of how do we help uh, students really understand um, thoughtful, positive, respectful use and, and of, of social media. How do we get a handle on that? So we have some work we've been doing at school sites and beginning to build sort of messaging around that, but also working across our teams and with our violence interrupter, because sometimes we also know that it's in individual one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings where they can really see the error of their ways because they posted something because they were mad they lost a video game at midnight and they said something they shouldn't have said and then it blew up, right? We, we see that happen all the time. So how do we channel that in a different way? And so as a team across the city, we recognize that this is a huge area of, of growth for us and, and of concern. And so we're going to continue to, to tackle it, not necessarily from the citizen app piece, which seems a little bit separate from this, um, but very alarming because sometimes things are just misreported and then when they're misreported, they, they blow up. And that can be really hard for us in our investigations as well because suddenly we think, oh, it's this because we saw it on Citizen App and in fact, it's absolutely not that. Um, and, um, and then once, how do you even counter that narrative? So that's something that we're working on collectively as well. And I was just going to add, as uh, part of our communications, um, part of the communications department, I think is our social responsibility as young leaders, as our elected officials and community members, to be able to think about critically about how we're sharing information when we, when incidents like this or like very or crises like this occur in our communities. We all have to be sensitive, and it's our social responsibility. And I'm going to call out to all of us um, so that when we are experiencing or seeing information that about incidents in our schools or in our community, think about before you share that information because we might just cause panic and we want to empower our students and community to be able to get the right information from tr trusted sources like um, my colleagues who are investigating the cases of incidents that happen in one of our school sites. So it's just an invitation for all of us to be socially responsible when we use some of the platforms that are at our disposal. One, one last thing I would like to add, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. I have two daughters, 10 and 13. Um, they go to pu public school in Oakland. Um, and if I, I just want to name that it, it's really important to get that information out as quickly as possible because I want to know when something goes on at, at, at my child's school. Um, and I also want to want you to know that, um, you know, prior to me coming into this role, th there wasn't as much of a, um, as far as I know, not as much of a collaboration between um, my work and the work that this position um, engages in, in the comms uh, division. And um, Laura Dudnick, uh, Larra's um, colleague, and I about a year ago really sort of um, decided that we were going to be uh, very much aligned in this work because crisis comms and making sure 
um, um, communication is quick and accurate, um, and, and so families know what's going on at their child's school site, is probably one of the most important parts of emergency response and preparedness, is making sure that is, um, you know, that is um, squared away. And I, I think I just really want you to know that it's a really important piece to the work that we do, and we care very deeply to make sure that it is done in a respectful, swift, um, and accurate way. Thank you. Um, one more follow-up question on that, and then I know I think Commissioner uh, Perez wants to speak. Um, so you spoke a lot about, in both in your presentation and also in your recent response, in terms of like what notifying families looks like. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the issues that came up um, at George Washington High School was, you know, there were these uh, beliefs, you know, percolating and spreading that there was either an active threat or there had been some kind of active threat and that led to you know longer term questions around should a lockdown have been called and whatnot mm -hmm. so what does communication with students look like especially like in real time i mean as a student like i think it's all great that my parents will get an email later that day to say like something might have happened but frankly i'm much more concerned about getting an email in my inbox that says everything is okay or that says everything's not okay so I'm wondering sort of on two levels. One, what does like in real time emergency communication look like to people who are on campus? Right. You know, do you have an emergency alert system or are students signed up with their cell phones? Is it SFUSD emails that they're sent to? But then also sort of just more generally, how are you taking into consideration the impact that that has on students? Because so far you've really only spoken about families. So I wanna see more about that. So, I'll, you know, I understand what, um, what you're asking in, in terms of impact uh, on students. And I think what is challenging about, you, you spoke about the Washington incident. I mean, I think about what is challenging about that incident is, you know, students were getting one piece of information in real time from, let's say, the Citizen app, because I think that is what happened. Um, and, and there was something happening alternatively in real time um, that um, was different. And there was, there was no way for us to know what was being shared on Citizen App versus what is happening in real time, you know, the reality of what was happening. Um, and I think once folks, once we all understood, um, you know, and, and it, it all gets to us in different ways in terms of, you know, the, the students, are, you know, think X is happening. And so once we start to understand, and I think what I, I would also share is, you know, we don't get information as quickly uh, necessarily as, as you know you might think. You know, th the information comes to us based on what's happening um, in relation to what you're saying, um, and students not knowing about what's going on. Um, and so once we come to understand that, um, you know, the information, the correct information goes out. Again, we have sc school messenger, which is is what we use to get information out to students, families, staff. Um, and, and so when information is, when we, when we understand what actually happened and we can sort of set the record straight, um, you know, we do that. Let me really quick ask one more question on, so if there's an active situation, mm -hmm. how quickly are you able to communicate to students or faculty on campus beyond just a, a public announcement system? Because I know, A, a lot of schools don't have ones that are deemed to be sufficient but also school sites have people who are outside between classes and passing periods and all of these kinds of things. Do you have some kind of like active alert system or I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but I, I, I wanna know how quickly you can get a message out there that says we need to lock down 
or there's a threat on campus that you need to be aware of, or don't panic. Sure. Um, again, you know, we use the, the different, um, the different um, systems that we have available to us when we have to evacuate, when we have to engage in a lockdown, if there's a lockout. Lockout's a little bit different because it's a little more, it's quiet, you know, you, you, lock, you do a lockout so no, nothing's coming in or out. Um, you know, it, it, it's a good question. I mean, I had to engage in several lockdowns as, as, a, as a principal and um, it's not always clean and that's why we do our drills, um, but ultimately, um, you know, and I think that like depending on the incident, um, you know, God forbid we should ever have a, a true active shooter situation. Um, you know, um, you know, you um, you get the word out as quickly as you can with all the systems you have available to you. Um, and and if it is a, a, an active shooter situation, a lot of times, um, you know, that that. Um, anyways, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Commissioner Perez. Thank you for answering all the questions. Um, I did just, based on what Commissioner Berker Plummer mentioned about specifically the George Washington incident, I'm just curious, is there like a uniform response afterwards in terms of just like from an emotional standpoint, having resources for students to kind of express their concerns, to get the necessary like mental support or whatever that may be, or is that on the student? to kind of search that out? Or can the, does the school kind of have, again, this response that is put in place, um, like an assembly or, or something like that? Yeah, so in any case, I, I talked about our crisis response team. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the key please, things that we would do there, and, and Washington was no different, is that we, working with, for example, I see Tara right here, so working with Tara directly, we're, we're making sure that the school is, um, capable and able to support students that may be triggered or may, you know, it, it's really scary as, as I opened when I was talking. Um, and so our wellness centers, uh, we work directly with our crisis response team. In fact, they are, they're social workers. And so they're connecting and they're saying, hey, be ready for this. There may be students that are coming in. And then we work with the, with the, the with our lead folks and with the sites themselves to be aware to say, hey, feel free to send kids to let them know that the wellness center is there for you. If we need to go into classrooms and check in, sometimes we do small, uh, we didn't do it necessarily in the in the wash case i don't that i know of maybe um we may do little lessons in the classrooms or pull outs or put push-ins to make sure that students um feel safe and that at our wellness centers especially at the high school and middle school level are key drivers in the work um so that after math of even an incident such as wash which actually wasn't an active threat but was still could be very alarming triggering and scary we're there to support them Perfect. And I will just say, I think from a personal uh, standpoint and perspective that I think that's necessary. Going back to your belonging point, um, just how students might not feel comf confident and comfortable going to a teacher, a counselor, whatnot, to express kind of how they felt triggered. Um, and so I think it should be on um, these like different committees that are focused on this issue for them to go into classrooms, for them to take the initiative there, because it might not always be on the student. Um, so I will just say that. Yeah, and I would, can I just add that yes, I think I've mentioned the CCT, the coordinated care teams. Mm -hmm. It's another strategy to get a handle. So like um, after an incident, the coordinated care team comes together, can come together and talk about, well, are we going to go into classrooms? Are we going to offer some 
peace rally? Are we going to get a DJ and do something that's just fun? Maybe do some breathing, do some meditation, you know, some mindfulness so that, that they're aware that when incidents like that happen, they can be uh, traumatic across the board. Great. Thank you. Thank you. That was actually one of my questions in term of the, terms of the traumatizing nature of these lockdown drills and what happens to the students after that really are triggered and do they have resources? Where can they go? Do they know about them? I think sometimes the traumatizing nature of just going through this idea that someone may be on your campus as an active shooter, um, you know, just perpetuates anxiety and depression and everything else that's facing our youth. And we have to be able to have resources um, for them. And it sounds like, sounds like we do. I just want to make sure from the youth that you all know about it and that, you know, they are, they are utilizing these resources. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, so I wanted to add something about kind of that decision. And I think that's why um, we also don't always jump to the jump to the lockdown is because we also have to balance like when we have information where we feel confident that we have to investigate this first, if we were to do that, like that could be like a weekly occurrence from any random thing. Like we have to first investigate and is this a valid thing because we don't want to overly traumatize. And that's like a huge weight on the shoulders of a principal to be the person that needs to navigate that. And that's why it's great that we have a team um, because we don't just, it could be how you feel that day or that principal is busy and they have to get to a meeting. So instead of having that be just on their shoulders, we feel comfortable with kind of, we go immediately into this crisis response of let's actually vet this out and you're doing this and you're doing that. Um, um, because that is the um, disadvantage of always reacting is that and then also going into like every class or doing a big whole group thing in like an assembly format some students you know everyone deals with things differently and that may be very uncomfortable where they're like actually what I want is to focus on math right now I actually don't want to be like in this whole conversation so it's just a hard balance that we have to weigh um, yeah thank you for that I see we have uh, Commissioner Barker Plummer on the roster again it's actually um, good, good timing. So my, my last question was um, basically how see something, say something is being advertised. I know that you said that there's some success to it, and I know that some students know about it, but one of the things I heard from the, the fallout, I, I guess, um, the repercussions of what happened at Washington and at Galileo um, is that people were saying, like, why don't we have this kind of system? And I, you know, we do. But there's clearly a lack of awareness on their part that this is a system that they're able to utilize, um, especially, like, in real time as well. So I'm wondering if either, if any of you can speak to that as well. Uh, well, we're, we're actively working to train all of our 6th through 12th graders. That's, that's the, the, the grade, the age level that, that we work with the Sandy Hook team. Um, like I said, we're over 8,000 right now, but that's just for right now. Many students have been trained prior as well at Washington included last year, and I think even part of the year before. So the training's not different and the app is not different, so it's, it's all still there. There are still posters at all of the schools with the, with the QR code and, and the information how to access it. Um, but we will continue and are continuing because we believe this is uh, critical for our work to push it. Uh, and we are tracking, in fact, before I came, I was looking at the list to see which schools still have not 
done their training or completed their training. And my, the executive director, my team, takes the lead on that. We meet every other week with the Sandy Hook folks, and we monitor, and we're going to continue uh, pushing those trainings throughout the year to make sure that we're as, as high as we can get. We're about 50, 45% right now, but, I, but we can do much better, um, and, and we will do much better. Thank you. And um, I would also say, like, the Youth Commission is a resource for you to hear from young people what the best ways to communicate those types of things are. So let us know if we can be helpful in, like, best practices for disseminating information to young people. I think, it's, I think that's a constant challenge, especially, like, as social media becomes more complicated and young people, you know, there's so many school sites in SFUSD as well. So let us know if we can be helpful in that sense as well. Um, and then the other last thing I want to ask about is is the distribution of safe firearm storage information, safe safe firearm storage information. I know we have many Moms Demand Action um, volunteers and leaders here today, and this is something that they've been working on and I have been working on, not only in schools but also in other community organizations and making sure the city is sharing that information as well. Um, I know that you said it's been included in some like district-wide newsletters. I know that people have felt like it was quite far down and buried in quite a lot of information that gets disseminated. Um, and then one of the recommendations also is to have students go home with a piece of paper that their parents are supposed to like review and sign and send back at the beginning of the year to make sure that they know that that's happening. I know that's something that we brought up at last hearing, so I'm wondering if there's been um, any positive uh, movement towards having that actually be implemented. I'm just going to say a little bit about our communications in terms of sharing um, very vital, important, important information with our families. Um, most of the communications that we send out in the newsletters are also posted on our website. So we also recognize that when families don't have access to receive to get uh, their information via a newsletter because they might not open their emails, they might be browsing our website. And um, we have a commitment to continuously update that information. And uh, as a communications department, we're also thinking about beyond the newsletters, beyond um, uh, emails and other uh, channels of communications, like what are other channels that we can activate to ensure that um, families and students are receiving the latest and the greatest information about these issues. Um, part of our commitment as well is like how do we make it um, accessible to families that are monolingual speakers, right? So it's a lot that comes into planning and a lot that comes into sharing and activating the a proper channel so that we're reaching the right audiences. Um, so in terms, in terms of how we're sharing that information, we will continue to use and implement some of the channels that we have activated, I believe, early last year, since last year. Um, and, and again, our commitment is to continue in enforcing and implementing other channels to be able to best communicate with multiple audiences, bringing language justice to our work and also um, accessibility. So. Thank you. Um, I, I would just say that this has been something that's been asked for a lot, is to have this sent home as a physical copy, because sometimes there's nothing better than a physical copy, uh, even with technology and with newsletters and with social media. Um, so I would hope to see some kind of commitment to doing that, maybe for the next school year um, soon, would be, would be something I would appreciate. Absolutely. We're taking that recommendation back to our team, and that's something that we can work on, on like printing and doing a mail out to all our families so that everyone has access to a hard copy. Thank you. Really quick, on the See Something, um, Say Something anonymous reporting system, are you using the app 
from the Sandy Hook Promise, or how are, how are you facilitating that information? I don't know if everyone knows what that is, but it's the re anonymous reporting system, yeah. 365 days of the year, 24-7, that my understanding of it is anyone can report whether or not they're feeling like they may harm themselves or yeah. they've heard of somebody may be harmed in school. Yeah. Just wondering how that information is getting out. And I do love the fact, you know, I, I want to acknowledge the Moms Demand Action members here. I see them with their shirts, uh, love them. Uh, you know, the work that they went, they put into making sure that information was going home about safe storage, if we can do the same for um, the See Something, Say Something program. Yeah, well, we've shared on our website, I think, I believe, the Say Something, and, and in many spaces as well. Um, the way it works is it's an app, as you, as you said, and there's a center that's not us. It's through the Sandy Hook Promise, and they field all of the calls, and then they distribute them out there. Every single school has a team of at least three, in many cases five people, that have their cell numbers on it so that they're getting alerted right away if something happens. And then I've got a team as well. So there's parallel alerts. So many folks are getting calls. And then the Sandy Hook folks uh, make a, uh, they, they talk to students, you actually see the transcripts. And they talk with the students uh, through um, what's going on, what's happening, what do they need, and, and make a determination whether it's a high-level, high-risk incident or maybe a low-risk or sometimes a prank, right? Um, we, I will say, I won't say specifics, but while we were training and kids were practicing, we actually did pick up a student that was in emotional distress. And it was, it, it was in very real time that I actually got the call myself, was able to reach out to the principal, and we were able to get the student the support they needed immediately. So. I believe that as we, we continue to build it, it is extraordinarily impactful for both individual supports for students that may not feel comfortable reporting in other ways, but also for stuff that's coming up in the community or in the school site. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants more information about it, it's, um, you can find it at sandyhookpromise.org, and it is called the Say Something Anonymous um, Reporting System. And I thank you so much. That I, I remember talking to... Um, Superintendent Matt Wayne about this when we met, and I was just very happy that um, you are embracing this because I think it's really important. And throughout, it's used throughout the nation in many different schools, and it has stopped many school shootings. It's done a, it's really um, been a good tool. Uh, Commissioner Aliotto Pierre. Thank you. Um, so this is actually just to go back to emotional support within schools. Um, while talking to a few of our colleagues, at like our orientations or just during meetings or something, um, we've come to an understanding that within schools, it's very, very difficult to get and meet with your counselor. And when you do actually meet with your counselor, you only get about 15 minutes with them from personal experience. That would not be enough. Um, and I was wondering if there's a situation to arise, if there's a plan in place for after that situation, like something in WASH, for more support to be put out there and just more of those resources, maybe another counselor for a month or something like that, so that youth in the high school, elementary school, middle school, wherever it may be, would be able to get enough time with their counselor and get enough time to actually speak. Could, well, a couple of things. I'd love you to clarify a little bit what you're asking, but I, but I think 
the, a little bit of a distinction. So counselors in our schools um, definitely are there for support, but they're also there for academic support. I, and I think it's great to go to your counselor, but I really encourage going to the wellness centers. And the wellness centers are where there are, are um, social, uh, social workers there, there's therapists there, there's CBO partners there, there's a child community health outreach worker. That's a space to really uh, connect and to, to, to be able to be there for a while, to maybe even get involved in a group, uh, to get involved possibly in one-on-one -on -one counseling, if you one-on-one -on -one therapy or therapeutic counseling if, if you want, and, and to connect. I, I, so I do think that in some cases, going to your academic counselor is great, but it's not necessarily gonna give you the same level of social emotional support uh, longer term than, than you can get at the wellness center. I know for a fact, WASH is a very strong wellness center, so I, I would highly encourage that. I will say that we are in a state of still a staffing shortage, and so you know we, we are short on counselors, uh, although I think we're fairly good right now uh, at, at the academic counseling level. And, I th and we, uh, we do have social workers at every high school and middle school, um, but it is definitely not, it, it is still, we talk a lot about the teacher shortage, but the nursing shortage and the, and the social worker shortage is, is quite real as well. Okay, seeing no other names on the roster, and we have people here that I know wanna get to public comment. Why don't we open it up for public comment? Mr. Clark? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on our agenda item number one, please line up to speak along the western wall of this room. I'm pointing it out with my left hand. And then if the first of those speakers would come forward to lectern, I'll start a timer for two minutes per speaker. And the first speaker can approach the lectern at this time. Hi, thank you so much um, uh, to Commissioner Barker Plummer and Supervisor Stephanie and both the committees for raising this issue. And thank you so much to SFUSD leadership for your thoughtful replies and for um, sharing all this information. I feel really good knowing that um, you give such you know care to our students and so much like thought to violence intervention and prevention and and social and emotional supports, but I just wanna, yeah, really make sure that just as much attention is being given to the horrible possibility that an active shooter could still nonetheless happen, and that I just wanna feel more secure that every single thing that can possibly be done to keep our students safe in that situation is being done. That includes, of course, you know, the, the interior door locks, the working PA system, sending the information home so the parents and guardians know that it's illegal to have a gun um, in a home with a minor unsecured. And also, you know, it's so important that the students feel safe. Um, you know, they, it's obviously so hard for students to feel safe in 2024 in America at high school, but, you know, if as much communication is being done as possible with them and as much listening to what they need to feel safe, um, I think that's really going to do a lot to help them learn and hopefully improve the situation. And finally, um, I just want to say how terrible I feel that in, you know, that our educators and our administrators and our SFUSD leadership has to deal with this issue in this country because they shouldn't have to, but that's, uh, that's where we're at. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. My name is Sarah Montoya. Um, I am a volunteer with Monster in Action. I'm a public school parent. Um, I am someone who's been directly impacted by gun violence in my own life. Um, and I'm also coming to speak up for um, San Francisco Parents Coalition. We have reached out to our community and we've heard from parents in San Francisco that they need more transparency. They don't know what's happening, but they do know about the facilities issues. They do know that the PA systems aren't working and they are concerned. And so they are wanting more transparency. And so I'm grateful for this presentation. I think it's beautiful that this meeting was called and that there is being time and attention. 
And at the same time, I think that our parents deserve more and our students actually ultimately more than anyone else. Our students deserve more. They deserve to feel safe. And I also want to share that last year I sat across from a teacher as she cried looking around her classroom telling me that she could see all of the ways that she knew her students weren't safe. And she was just sitting with me crying and talking about my own, side, my own child and that she knew she couldn't keep him safe if something happened. And that breaks my heart that it is across the board that our schools do not feel like safe spaces right now. So thank you for the work you're doing. And please do more. <laughs> thank you, Sarah Montoya, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, my name is Sophia. If you're a supervisor or a local politician, I'm the one who emailed you about um, safety concerns. Um, as a student from WASH, I'd just like to say that we don't do the drills twice a year. Um, we haven't had lockdown drills. We just had our first one in several years. Um, normally they show us a video instead of doing the lockdown drill. Um, also the same week as the gun incident, we had two bathroom fires on two different days. One of them we were outside for maybe 30 or 45 minutes. My parents and I were not notified about it. Um, even though I think that that is an incident that would be needed to be notified about. Also, they said that we can reach out to wellness centers if we're feeling like unsafe or like traumatized, but our wellness centers are seriously understaffed, and if I were to make an appointment with our wellness center, it would take up to six months usually to get an actual appointment with a therapist there. Also, for See Something, Say Something systems, I've been at WASH, this is my third year now. I have never heard of it before, um, I had talked to administration and they told me about it. I had never heard of it before. There are no posters up. I had never heard of it. I did not know that was a thing and I didn't know that was like a possibility that I like could reach out for. Um, so obviously the district is saying a lot of stuff and there's a lot of good things that do need to be implemented but the students need to know that these are options and they need to be staffed and they need to be funded. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we get the next speaker please? Hi, I'm Vincent E. I am a student at George Washington High School, and um, I want to say thank you all for being here to have a meeting on uh, school safety. I want to also point out, as per my classmate Sophia said, uh, at our school we have not been um, communicated properly with the say something, uh, say something, say something system. Uh, has not been advertised at our school, and uh, my question is um, for the Sandy Hook Promise app: Would that be inefficient for um, communication to be um, sent to a organization and then to the school administration if we can't just uh, talk to the administration ourselves. Um, I also want to add that um, our school has definitely a lack of uh, communication systems in place, the PA systems. Uh, we've been told countless times uh, for the past four years that they will imp implement that by the summer and the school district has uh, not delivered on that. So I was wondering if you have any plans to hold the uh, SFUSD um, construction ac accountable as well as a uh, timeline for modernization of our schools and implementing safety changes. Thank you. Could we get the next speaker, please? Uh, good afternoon, uh, supervisors, uh, commissioners. My name is Tom Pierre. I'm 30-year resident of San Francisco. Proud to say that my wife and I have raised three children in the city. Um, First off, I'd like to really commend the Youth Commission for bringing a very important perspective to these issues, a perspective that I think is generally lost amongst the people of my generation and the people who are the legislators who um, really are 
kind of running the show, for lack of a better term. And the reason I'm raising this issue is in light of the United States Senate hearings yesterday, where, as I'm sure everyone in this room is aware, that um, CEOs of all of the social media companies testified before Congress. I didn't hear any young people testifying uh, during those hearings or asking questions. So I, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that I really encourage the youth commissioners and also the board of supervisors to become engaged in what is this nascent regulatory environment that is taking place first at a national level, but will doubtlessly trickle down. And I appreciate that we're sort of looking at the back end of school violence now, but the front end is the social media bullying and harmful conduct that takes place online towards you. So in summary, I really encourage you to get involved in this regulatory process. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hi, um, I'm Jen Nosikoff. I am here as a public school parent. I have a first grader. Um, thank you, Supervisor Stephanie, for calling this meeting and for all of the advocacy um, and the work that you do in this space. Um, as a parent, I am greatly appreciative of that. Um, I have been in SFUSD for a year and a half now. I don't know that my daughter has had a lockdown drill. I know that when I go to the campus of her school, it's open. There is, there aren't conversations about safety that are happening with the parents. Um, there's conversations that are happening in some rooms, but those are not conversations that are happening across the district and they need to be. Um, we need to know what's going on at the school. We need good communication. Um, watching this presentation, I feel like we don't have a great path forward yet. Um, we're not prepared with the technology. We're not prepared with the infrastructure, and we need to be doing more. Um, so thank you all for being here today and making this a top priority. Thank you. Next speaker, please. And if we have any further speakers after this one, please line up to speak along that wall. Hi, my name is Stephanie Falkenstein. I'm here as a parent of an SFUSD second grader. I've served on my school's site council for three years now, so I'm very aware of the school's uh, safety plan. I would like to make sure that we address a system of checks and balances, however. Um, because of where I'm located, I am in D3. Galileo is the closest high school. I do know that there is the PA system not working at Galileo is not just a problem for the students of Galileo, but the students for all of the adjacent elementary schools which evacuate into Galileo. Days before the Galileo incident, um, we basically had signed off on our school site safety plan, knowing that Francisco, <laughs> another challenging school, and Galileo are both our schools and supposed to be a place of safety where our students can go if there is an incident, and that is a bit concerning to me as a parent. Um, I also know that Galileo did not have a plan um, in place because their principal was out on medical leave. Um, this is just a one system of checks and balances that I think needs to happen in the district. At our elementary school, we also had an issue. We had a gas leak. 
Luckily, it was not a real issue, uh, but parents were not all notified of the incident and the evacuation um, because uh, our principal was out that day and we had to rely on our school secretary. So. I believe that the system is great um, in theory. I think that there still needs to be an application of that. Um, and so I really want to see a further application and oversight of what's currently in place. Um, but I definitely appreciate the Youth Commission and Supervisor Stephanie and Dorsey and Engardo for, for showing up and taking this issue seriously. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone further who has public comment on agenda item number one? Madam Chair. Seeing none, public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you everyone for coming out for public comment. I don't know if the school district um, felt like responding to any of um, the comments they heard or can at least touch base with some of those commenters um, that had um, questions. Um, but if you, want, if you want to respond, great. If not, that's okay. I can turn it back over to our youth commissioners for final questions or remarks. Great. Um, I can go ahead and close this off, and I think we all have some brief statements to wrap us up. Um, so I, I just want to say I know that we're all on the same page about the importance of ensuring our schools are safe learning environments for students, uh, as well as the educators and staff who are there. I think that the fact that this hearing was held in the first place shows that we have people from the school district, from our city government, uh, even the young leaders we have of our city, uh, that we all care. I also think it's clear today that there is uh, a need for improvement and that uh, we need to make sure that this is an urgent priority for our school district, for our city, um, and for our wider community. So I want to thank um, Supervisor Stephanie for calling this hearing um, and Supervisors Angordio and Dorsey for joining us. Uh, as well as my fellow Civic Engagement and Education Committee members, and also my appreciation to uh, SFUSD for presenting today. We all play a part in making sure our schools are safe and welcoming learning environments. That includes teachers, administrators, students, and our supervisors. I think it's important that we make a collective commitment to doing this and make sure that this is the first priority uh, when it comes to our schools, is making sure that they're safe for everyone. Thank you. Again, I want to say thank you, Supervisor Stephanie, for calling this hearing and um, the Public Safety and Neighborhood Service Committee for holding it with the Youth Commission and our Civic Engagement and Education Committee. School safety has been a priority on the Commission for years, and it will continue to be a top priority until youth feel as though schools um, are the safe learning environment that they were built to be, especially to grow in their academic and personal development and Yes. Um, there is a great importance just to be placed on all the issues brought up today with an additional comment about the importance of expanding wellness centers at schools across the city. Um, we all want to ensure the safety of our city's youth. So speaking on behalf of the Youth Commission, although there is great work to be done, we are excited and hoping for the further commitment to school safety and continued partnership on this issue. Great. Um, I will echo the same appreciation. Thank you all for your time and thank you for the presentation. Um, this has been an important issue to the Youth Commission um, for a long time, as mentioned before. 
Um, and we are con committed to continuing to work on this matter to ensure that my peers and our peers have the peace of mind during school hours that they are provided with the necessary resources for issues that could impact their safety and well-being. Um, I was especially intrigued by how one sense of belonging, uh, or lack thereof, uh, directly impacts a student's confidence and willingness to go to a trusted adult and to find the necessary support if they believe their safety is threatened. Um, but this committee specifically will continue to work to have every student feel as though they have a voice within their school community and they have the confidence to, to find the necessary help. Um, yeah, I just wanted to echo what my other community members also said. I think it's great that we all have come together today to have this holding parents, um, the Public Safety and Neighborhood Committee, and um, my other community members. I think it's really great that if we've come together and just be, us being here right now really shows that we're committed to uplifting students' voices in all schools, making sure that we get them proper safety and I think it's great that we're making measures to finally get this done. So yes, thank you so very much to um, the Public Safety Neighborhood Committee and S Supervisor Stephanie for calling this meeting. Thank you to all of you so much for your remarks and thank you for your advocacy. I wanna thank you in advance for being the generation that is going to put an end to the insanity in this country around gun violence. You are the ones who will make a difference, I promise. I see it in your compassion, I see it in your attention to detail, I see it in everything, how you constantly show up, in the walkout you did, um, was that last week or the week before? All the weeks are running together, but I am so impressed by all of you. And you know, the one commenter that said there was no one in the Senate you know, talking about the impact on the youth it's your voice, it's your experience, it's what you're going through, what you know your peers are going through that needs to be heard. And we adults who are in positions of power, we need to figure out how to change it. We really need to figure out how to do something about the Say Something program so everyone knows about it. We need to figure out how to get the money to fix the PA systems. We need to figure out how to communicate better with parents, and we can do that. And I'm impressed with the school uh, district uh, who, you know, the, everyone who showed up today, I know they care. I know they're strapped sometimes with not having enough resources, but I know they care, and I know they're trying, and we're gonna keep trying together. And again, uh, you know, I think about, it's almost six years ago, um, which will be Valentine's Day, when the shooting occurred at Parkland High School in Florida. And I remember standing here talking about that, just sobbing, that I couldn't believe that this continued to happen in our country, that it wouldn't stop, and that we know it's preventable. That's the thing. We know. We all know in this room that it's preventable. We know that there are solutions. We know that this doesn't happen in our peer countries. And like I said, the change comes with you to make sure that there are people in positions of power that put solutions in place. And again, I can't thank you enough. Continue to advocate, continue to tell your peers to come and speak out, and just continue to fight for your lives. Like, they, they started March for Our Lives. It's still such, it's such a sad commentary, as Super Dor Supervisor Dorsey was saying, that we even have to do this. But I just want you all to know that we're committed to not only helping solve this issue with you, 
but to elevating your experience. It's so important. So thank you for this today. I want to thank everyone for coming out and speaking um, at public comment and for all the advocacy organization, Moms to Band Action, Brady Campaign, uh, United Players. There's so many people that are really committed to this, and that's why I do have hope on what seems such a horrible, insurmountable problem, but all of you give me hope, so thank you. Colleagues, do you have any else? Anything else you want to say? Okay, so I think at this um, time I will move to file this hearing and we'll make sure that we stay in touch on things going forward. A motion has been offered by the chair that this hearing matter be heard and filed on that motion, Vice Chair Engardio. Engardio, aye. Member Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Chair Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Are there any items before us? Any other items before us? There is no further business. Thank you. We are adjourned.